Hey, everybody. Welcome to It's Real with Jordan and Demi. Demi Ramos is out. I'm Jordan Edwards. Our guest today is an acclaimed singer-songwriter whose new album, Dreamland, is out February 11th. Please welcome Amos Lee. Hey, Jordan. What's, what's happening? Man? Oh, nothing much. Not much. Man. Not chilling. much. Just, uh, <laughs> just chilling in my, in my sweaty Brooklyn apartment. Uh, yeah, we both have where, the serial where killer at? walls. I'm in L.A., man. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. You're in LA. You're oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we got the time difference. Uh, you're you didn't grow up in LA though. Where where'd you grow up at? No, I'm. I was born and raised in Philly. Okay, um, you're a Philly guy. You're a Philly guy. I'm that's a Philly right. guy. Yeah. Um, bounced around all over. Like for some reason, Delaware I think of Valley. Philly. I think of Hollow Notes. Philly has so many amazing artists. Like, it's been cool to see over the past decade things from like. You know, obviously the Roots and Boys to Men and Jill Scott and the whole neo soul thing and R&B and hip hop. And then recently there's like Man Man and War on Drugs and Kurt Vile and uh, Waxahachie and all these amazing indie artists that have come out of Philly. So it's it's a great place. Honestly, if if I were starting again, I would move to Philly. It's the perfect place, really. It's affordable. You can have cheap rent, play good shows with good people. The scene's amazing. There's so many places to record. So yeah, I'm I'm a Philly stand for sure. You you mentioned, you know, all those artists you mentioned cover a lot of different genres. And that's to me, that's one like kind of your calling card is your versatility. That some of your music mm-hmm. sounds more on the rock side, some of it's more soul, some of it's more pop. So when you were starting out when you were younger. Did you always have that in the back of your mind that you wanted to showcase your diversity as an artist or did it just kind of end up that way? Well, when I started out, I well, when I first started out, I wasn't really focused on anything other than playing shows and having fun. And I mean, we were even weirder back then, dude. We would play like three and a half hour shows where shit would get really off the rails. Um, it was never about genre for us. It was always just about like, the songs and having a having a good time <laughs> but uh mm-hmm. yeah over the last few years i honestly jordan i never think about genre um i versatility is a kind way to put it <laughs> mm-hmm. i think it could be also kind of skitsy and like all over the place you know even the guys in my band who are amazing players sometimes wanted to be a little bit more focused as far as like the genre stuff because I grew up listening to hip hop and R&B music. Then I got an acoustic guitar and I've been trying to piece all of those things together ever since. And it's kind of been all over the place. But um, also a lot of it has to do with the people I record with. Like this, the Dreamland record that we're going to talk about today is recorded with Leggy Langdon. And he's a producer out here in LA and he has his own aesthetic. And so I bring my songs to his studio and a different thing happens. And one thing I've learned as I've gotten older, which is a great thing, which is letting go and just having fun with the person you're with in the room and not trying to control so much of what's going on. It's it's funny you say that you, you talk about having fun in the studio and Dreamland, this album, uh, it's not out till February, but I, I've had the chance to listen to it. It's a contemplative atmospheric 
kind of album. It's not, there's a couple upbeat tracks on it, but it's a really kind of somber album. And beyond, it's not, I don't want to, you know, make it out to where it's like an Elliot Smith kind of thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's big, it's epic. It almost, it's very cinematic. And I think the mood to this album, the, the atmosphere of this album is, is really um, one thing that makes it stick out. So was the mm -hmm. sound of this album, you mentioned Leggy Langdon, uh, was that kind of a priority when you went to the studios having this cohesive kind of lush, melancholy sound? It, it was definitely part of what I think we both were into. Um, the great thing about recording with Leggy and recording really with a producer who plays a lot of the stuff is that there's a pretty cohesive vision built into the project already. Um, mm -hmm. When you're playing, it's, it's sort of different when you're playing in an atmosphere where there's a bunch of different musicians coming in and out. And like I made a record a few years ago that I produced called Spirit. And I've, I've, I'm happy with a lot of it, but I also think some of the, the lack of cohesion on that record is because I was trying to do too much. And I was trying to kind of, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, which is all of the versatility and bringing all these styles into one place. It's just really hard to do. And uh, for this record with Leggy, I just kind of wanted to hang out and um, connect and also kind of let go a lot and enjoy the process of letting someone else create the space around the songs. So really, honestly, Jordan, when it comes down to it, a lot of the stuff you're hearing that's big and epic and beautiful is a lot of leggy stuff. Um, I obviously took part in the creative process, but I have to give the credit to leggy about uh, in creating that cinematic epic <laughs> uh, experience. Yeah, I, when I was listening to it, I was like, if this doesn't end up on, you know, some of these songs don't end up on soundtracks or like an HBO series mm -hmm. or something, then then something's wrong. It, it just sounds yeah. prime for that kind of treatment. But I will yes, say, please. you got a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll take those checks. You'll take those checks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you do have a song here, Should Have Known Better, which is more upbeat and, and dare I say, funky. So was that particular song, <laughs> did you want to have a, a song on there that was a little bit, that brought some levity to the, to the, to the album was, was it like, we don't want to have every song be, you know, somber and contemplative. Um, it wasn't really so much that we were afraid of being too somber. <laughs> um, I just thought that was a jam. Like it just it feels good. It's yeah. a jam. And I, and I enjoyed playing it and the guitar part was cool. I mean, obviously on a record, you kind of want some balance. Um, but uh I, I it wasn't like we need an upbeat song it was just sort of like oh that's a jam let's put it on the record we recorded 15 tunes and like of the 15 we just wanted to find the best flow of, of the songs there's going to be an ep with four other songs that were cool too but uh i just think it's a jam honestly and it's and it's fun yeah yeah that that's a good that's a good thing to, to talk about when you're making an album how many tracks how many songs do you usually collect that may make the record um, versus how many actually make it on? Are you most people who, who writes 50 songs and then you record 15 or do you only write 15 or 20 for the, for the album? I am one of those people that writes like a hundred songs and then cuts it all the way down. 
And kind of interesting on this record, though, is a different process. Um, like this one, I kind of just went in with some loose ideas. I did. I had a bunch of songs, but frankly, a lot of the songs that I wrote during that time are going to be on the next record that I'm going to make, which is I'm making now. Um, but yeah, I definitely write more. I know that I have to write a lot more because when you get in, you just never know what's going to work in the studio or not. So, um, but honestly, I'm going to keep reiterating this. This was such a collaborative record and, um, it was not just with Leggy, but it was, there was a, a songwriter, um, named Jen who, who helped me write the, the, uh, Dreamland song. She's amazing. And, uh, I just wanted it to be more collaborative, man. So it was that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one, one of the, uh, the big themes of this album is, um, confronting anxiety, confronting, uh, you know, mental health issues and opening up to uh, new experiences, that sort of thing. And you mentioned that you're uh, happy being by yourself, that, uh, you know, you enjoy solitude <laughs> maybe too much. Uh, um, so why yeah. did you decide to be so confessional, for lack of a better term, when it came mm -hmm. to this album? I mean, you, you, you're putting a lot of yourself out there. Um, well... I got to a point a few years ago where, I mean, look, when you have issues with anxiety, and I don't mean like, I'm anxious, you know, it's like the way we define anxiety these days is, is pretty dynamic. When you have anxiety disorders and you have major depression, and I have both, yay. Um, I think it's a lot important of to just- do. Oh, well, I mean, I think you should, if you're an artist, you've goddamn better. Uh, <laughs> you're not going to last long. Um, but I think it's just important to, to just tell yourself that, hey, this is a thing I have. Like, it's okay that it might be chronic. I'm just going to try to, like, tell, talk to myself about it and not expect it to go away. You know, I think the thing is we always think that we're going to be cured of all of our problems instead of going like, well, I'm going to manage it and I'm just going to try to feel better every day. And I'm going to just accept when some days suck and I'm going to accept when some days are good and just try to take a proactive approach to it. And music for me is such a healing force, like just for my own self, being able to write about this stuff is really important. And I went back and did a bunch of like, you know, healing some, some trauma stuff and dealt with some childhood shit that I was dealing with. And that stuff comes out in the songs, man, you know? So, um, I think conf if you're not a confessional songwriter, you better have, you better have a real big vision about what you're going to write about because, um, I don't always take a hundred percent of the stuff I write about from my own experience, but it has to inform it, you know, it has to be part of it. I have to be, at least be the co-pilot. So yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, it's a, it's a big question. It's a big question that, um, that I think would probably take a two hour podcast to really talk about. So. Yeah. That's a, that's a whole therapy <laughs> session going on there. It really is, man. Yeah. I've, I've, I've been in therapy for like two years for that. So <laughs> <laughs> kind of going off of that, uh, you are one of the, the staples of your career has been your live show. You have a very devoted live uh, following and, and you've done some really 
uh, great live shows and, and really cool venues. But because you are kind of, uh, a, a, you know, you enjoy solitude, have you have you had any issues with stage fright or not wanting to go out there, anything like that? Or as a whole, are you kind of getting character when you go on stage? No, it's definitely not a character thing. I, yeah, I mean, getting me to leave my house is just, that's the problem. Once I leave my house, I'm cool. <laughs> I feel you. I'm the same way. I'm the same way. It's just getting me yeah. on, it's like getting me on tour is, but then I'm good. But like getting yeah. my ass out of my thing, it's just like, I'm just like, I don't want to do it. I hate this. I don't mm. want to do it. But then I do it and I'm like, it's the greatest thing ever. So, and it feels amazing. Yeah. Like once that audience is, is cheering for you at the end of the set, that's got, it's got to be complete validation for what you've gone through. It's, it's what it's weird, man. You know, like this past year, especially like I have a lot of friends who are nurses and educators and like my dad's a janitor and I, you know, these people work so hard every day and they give so much of themselves and no one's applauding them. Actually, people are yelling at them and telling them like, you're not doing a good enough job. And so for me, music, like I say this to my friends all the time. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, like I do enjoy my solitude, but I also did choose a job where people clap at me. So it's like, right, right, right. That, I'm not like that solitude person. I'm not Nick Drake level, you know, obviously, but, um, but the connection with the band and the playing of the music. And frankly, like I have to say over the last five years, especially the, the focus on giving is what's most important to me. When I take the stage, it's not about receiving, it's about giving mm -hmm. and about trying to make the people feel better. The people who come to support the show, who are like, are so, I mean, as you get older, you just appreciate everything more. And I appreciate the audience and like the people who work at the venue and our bus driver and the band and the crew and like you honestly for having me on your podcast and like hopefully introducing people to my music that might not know it. Like I really am super grateful for that. And uh, you know, expressing my gratitude and trying to give back is, really more important to me than the receiving of applause. Wow. You'd be really good. I would, I would elect, you'd be a good politician. I would elect you off that speech. I was, <laughs> I was, <laughs> wow. Oh, you, not you, for me. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have a, is there a, you got a spring tour lined up for this album? You know, it's coming out yeah. in February. It's good timing to go out in March or April. Yeah. We're going to try to go out in April and, um, play, play a bunch of shows in the spring and the summer, hopefully into the fall. Um, you know, man, it's, it's been such a weird couple of years and I miss, I like, I miss the camaraderie of my friends and like hanging out and just the minutia, the little stuff, going to get coffee in the morning in a random town is like one of my favorite things about being on tour. You know, you get yeah. up oh, and oh, yeah. you go to a coffee shop and it's like, uh, it's it's funny that I've heard that from multiple. Yeah, I've heard that from multiple people that that's one of the highlights of being on tour is going to even even people enjoy. I forgot who was talking to. I was talking to somebody and they said they enjoy going to even Starbucks in a different city is like is interesting mm. and fun to them. So, 
Yeah, I'm a coffee nerd. So like, I always try to find like the local super dope coffee shop. And yeah, it's weird, man, because you can find one in almost any city, like the smallest towns in America have great yeah. coffee shops. You came up in the in the 2000s, which was a really interesting time to be a singer songwriter. And you were on Blue Note for a while. And which is interesting to me because you were on Blue Note roughly the same time that Nora Jones was blowing up on Blue Note. And the label, which has been one of traditionally a jazz label, was was going more into the pop direction, the more singer-songwriter direction. So what was it like to be on Blue Note during that time in that 2005, four, five, six kind of time period? It was amazing, actually. Um, it was the it was the most fulfilling experience for me like with the music business especially signing there um at the time the the president of blue note records was a guy named bruce lundball and he was all of our mentors like he was like you know your father grandfather santa you know your drinking buddy um the coolest cat in the world i mean just the nicest warmest most um encouraging guy and yeah i mean nor they signed nora had all that insanely amazing popularity for her and i came on the tail end of that and you know in the beginning there was like the i was like the male nora jones like that's what they were calling me and i was like i mean i would love that because she's amazing but my career has taken its own and i knew that from the beginning like you know, in the beginning, on the first record, they're just looking for a, an angle. And um, yeah, that man, that whole crew that worked at Blue Note was just so awesome, man. They were so about, I mean, it's kind of a cliche, but they were just so about the music. Like, and I worked in a in an independent jazz record shop in South Carolina for a bunch of years. And I would sell copies of the original Blue Notes. And they were like our holy grail. Um, if you got an original pressing of a Blue Note record, you like stashed that shit away and didn't let anyone else in the shop see it. So when Absolutely. I was when I was told that Blue Note wanted to sign me, I was like freaking the fuck out because I couldn't believe that this label that I had such an admiration for, like I owned all those Blue Note records. Like I knew what Blue Note meant. It wasn't just the label that Nora was on or the, you know, the label that, that was trying to be sort of a, a cool pop crossover record. It was like, that was an amazing legacy label with great people. And I was just about it, man. I was and great just totally covers, about By it. the way, those albums had great covers. They have the greatest album art in the history of albums. So, um, you know, I had offers from other labels. I had, I actually had big offers from other labels, bigger than Blue Note. And yeah, I just was, I don't, I just like, there were a couple labels that came to the table that were really cool and that wanted me to be something that I didn't want to be. Um, I didn't want to have the, you know, like, you know, who was big at the time was Remy Shand. Do you know who that was? I remember Remy Probably Shand, not. yeah. A little before you, but he was kind of blown up, you know, like he was like this kind of R&B-ish dude. And there was people who wanted me to do that. And I was like, that's just not my thing. You know, like, I don't want to be anything. I just want to be some shit, you know, like, I just want to play <laughs> my songs. I just want to be some shit. 
because we talked in the beginning when I signed with them, they were like, what do you want as a career? Which is like, that's exactly what, what, what I wanted to talk to about. Ask somebody. Yeah, a young artist, especially. And, you know, I have a bunch of young friends who are coming up now who are just signing their first deals and making their first records. And I always really try to talk to them about that and say, like, what career kind of career do you want to have? Because it's it's easy to say, like, I want to be a star. I want to be this. But like, what kind of career do you really want to have? Like, what do you envision for yourself as an artist in 15 years? So I always, I've always admired those artists that could have a 10 to 20 album long career of catalog that they just continue to create. They continue to express themselves. And I knew that Blue Note, even though it didn't last, I knew that Blue Note was going to be the jump off spot for me because I knew they were going to, in essence, support the start of my vision. You know, when I'm when I was listening to you the last couple of days, getting ready for the show, one thing that stood out for me because you know uh, people are concerned with streaming numbers and getting hits and stuff is I thought if if Amos would have gone as a straight up country artist or as a straight up pop vocalist, maybe you would have had more top forty type hits. Do you ever consider that maybe that would have been a path to actually pick a specific genre? That that would have been. <laughs> A way to go. Oh God. Oh man. That question is that question is like a really interesting bite of food that like you're like, it's good, but what the fuck is that? There's something weird in there, right? And I'm like, yes. Because I do consider obviously, like, if I had gone any route, um, I probably I mean it's easier to market that shit. It's easy to yeah. market a genre. It's hard to market an artist. But there are tons of artists that are out there doing that. Like, honestly, like, I think genre just is bullshit. And yeah, I, I do. Like, I think any genre based anything is just bullshit. And if you want to be a pop star, that is a thing you have to really want and really work hard to do. I don't want, yeah. I never well, wanted I specifically that. Asked about, yeah, I specifically asked about the country thing because country music is based a lot off how many charting hits you have and you have the voice for it. You have the guitar chops. Did you, even if you didn't want to be specifically country, have you ever had the, the urge to do something a little bit more, you know, pushing in that direction more, even if it was I mean, more of like an alt country kind of Avet brothers kind of thing? I have to be honest with you. Like, this is not, this is not like a hundred percent attitude, but it is like, I'm from Philly. I'm not going to be a fucking country guy. Like, there's no way. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like, sorry. I I just can't. I love country music, dude. And I, you know, would I like a taste of that country radio? Hell yeah. That would be (laughs) cool. Like, that would be fun. Yeah. Um, But frankly, man, honestly, like, I, I really just love writing music and I and I feel indebted to whatever muse I have floating around and I don't I don't really want to go too far asking her to like get in a Ferrari and drive around the block. Like I'm just not interested in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a good question. Um when you did first kind of taste success when you started um making a little more money as a musician. 
were there any purchases you made? Like, did you get a new fancy car? Did you move to a new, uh, a better apartment? Like what was, when you started to get some money rolling in, what did you do with that? No, <laughs> just no, <laughs> no, I didn't buy anything. Um, look, man, honestly, this, this whole trip, like my career has been like a slow build. It's been mm -hmm. like, I didn't really have any money for the first four, five years of my career, like really nothing. And I mean, I'm not rich now. Like, I do okay. I make a living. I'm, I'm comfortable and grateful for everything I have, but like, I'm not, I'm not in the like buy a whatever fancy car world that people live in just doesn't, that's not where you I don't exist. strike me as a, as a Lambo guy. No, <laughs> I'm not a Lambo guy. Um, although like, you know, obviously growing up listening to hip hop, it's all about the floss. So, yeah. you know, so you don't have any, I, I, any kind of stunt. You don't have a, maybe a nice, you're, you're a sharp dresser. So I'd assume you have some nice suits, some, those, you know, something like that. Those clothes were all given to me, bro. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. Because, okay. you know, I did, I did a couple records with John Barbato. I did a record with John Barbados and he hooked me up with all these dope clothes. And before then, like, I'm just this, you know, like a shirt and some shitty jeans yeah. and whatever. But he did, he did yeah. like turn me into go like, oh no, it's nice to wear good clothes. But, um, you know, man, I like to eat. I like to drink good wine and good beer and, you know, good stuff like that. And I like to treat my yeah. friends. I, bought, I bought my mom a car, I bought my dad a car. Stuff like that appeals to okay. me. Like, you know, giving, giving back to people who have given me love is, that's really valuable to me. Um, driving around in a crazy car doesn't doesn't really touch me. All, I've been honestly, man. I've been looking for this fucking car that's elusive. All I want is a 1995 Toyota Tacoma shitty pickup truck with low miles, and I can't fucking find one. So that's what oh. I want. <laughs> well, let's get let's get the, let's get the audience on that. You know, that's yeah. Help me that's out. My name is uh, a mid nineties Tacoma with low mileage on it. <laughs> yeah, oh God, the most yeah, boring yeah. man. No, in the world. I, I totally get that. I totally get that. You know, it, I I always say that if if I were to you know somehow come into uh, more money and and have more money to spend on a vehicle, I would go more for the classic rides than I would for a, a newer fancy car. I would totally go. And I love like, like 80s Corvettes, even though they're not really that expensive. I love those kinds of yeah. things. Uh, Cause it reminds me of, you know, like that kind of, that kind of world, that 80s SoCal kind of thing. Um, let's go back. Let's go back. I mean, you kind of veered off into the car talk for some reason. Uh, uh, <laughs> I brought up your voice right off the top of the show and how uh, diverse it is. You know, you can do the quiet, intimate vocals. You can belt out, you know, something more majestic. Um, you can have more of a country flavor to it. So your voice is really, you know, like such so important to you, obviously. When it comes to recording, are you, do you have a routine when it, um, as far as what time of day you like to record vocals or if you have a certain tea you like to drink or, or, or what do you, how do you approach that? <laughs> uh, I just do it, man. Like I just show up and, and sing like that's just the way it is. I don't like to do too many takes. Um, I want to get it in two or three. That's it. Like I don't have, I don't have a full day of singing in me 
really ever. Um, so what I try to do, what, what I really like is to just go in, have a talk about the track, have a talk about like the approach of what we're going to, we're, we're going to do and then just do it. Uh, I very much try to approach things in that classic way, you know, like I just did a Chet P uh, Baker tribute record and oh, I think cool. a lot about, yeah, it's, it's cool, man. It came out well. Um, but I think a lot about those guys and, and, and those women and at that time of, of singing where you showed up and that was it. Like you do your thing. Yeah. And, and, and the, and, and just the sheer amount of, of songs they recorded back. I think about like when Sinatra was at Columbia in the early fifties, like how, how many songs he put out, you know, it's insane. Yeah. I, I mean, if it's a thing about working and on this record too, with leggy is that when the arrangement's good and you can come up with an idea of an arrangement and you have, you can sing and your pitch is good and your timing is good. Like you don't need to do it a million times. Like just find the take is the, the emotion should be there anyway. You know, like you're singing your song, like, where are you at? Yeah. So, you know, you see a lot of these, I, I think a lot of people see like, maybe a lot of people haven't been in the recording studio. So they don't know, like, it's not like in the movies where it's like, one more with emotion. And it's like, yeah, wow, yeah, yeah. It's like, I just did emotion. That's what that was, <laughs> you know? So go fuck yourself. Um, it's, it's a lot more of, it's a lot more of an organic experience. And I, yeah, I don't really do the tea. I don't need the candles and all the shit. I just, I just want to make sure that when we're going in, the intention's right. And uh, I just sing, man. Do two or three takes. You're a man of action. Done. You're a man of action. I'm a man of action. That's me. Because <laughs> I, I think about, you know, the, the people who have those routines with the tea and candles and vocal warm-ups. And I mean, it's good to obviously keep your voice in shape or do whatever exercises make you, you know, record your best vocals. But I feel like you that when you start getting that, you can really overthink it and really kind of trip yourself oh, yeah. up because you're doing so much. So I totally get it. Yeah, this, this Chet Baker record that I made, my routine was I would eat dinner and then like have a beer and then I would sit down with a pint of ice cream and another beer and sing a song. And yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's the way Chet Baker would do it. There'd probably be a, a little bit of whiskey involved as well. Other stuff too. It wasn't just, it was some other shit. Yeah. Chet was on some, yeah, some, other, shit. some other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Before we let you go, Amos, we we want to meet one of your friends. You have this. You you mentioned you have a you, you're also a, a a little bit of a ventriloquist puppeteer. Um, I'm not kind a of ventriloquist, thing. but yeah, I do have a puppet. Um, he's my yeah. Homie. Let's see. Let's let's meet this puppet. Yeah, he's my boy, dude. He's a good. He's a good cat. I mean, he's he's sort of tired. He had a long night last night, so oh yeah, there he is. I'll let oh him wow, talk for me. Yeah. yeah. What's what's his what's his name? His name's Tony. Tony. He's like my alter. He's like my alter ego. He's like my Philly alter ego. Let's see if I can oh, yeah. get his face in front of mine. Yeah, what's up, Cuz? Oh, so he's he's kind of a tough guy. Tony's kind of a tough shit guy. talker. <laughs> shit yeah, talker. Yeah, kick your ass. <laughs> well, when you got a soul patch, you gotta talk some shit, you know. Oh fuck yeah, man. He and he really could just just he destroys. He's like. Uh, Triumph, the comic insult dog, but from Philly, and and like 
kind of really disgusting and weird and <laughs> crude. <laughs> so it's kind of so it's kind of the things that you may want to say, but but keep inside sometimes. No, honestly, dude, no. This is a whole just a different thing happens. Okay, it's not okay. me. Like I don't think okay. the shit that he says. No, of course not. It's ridiculous. His favorite okay. food is combos. You know what I mean? <laughs> combos. <laughs> I. I could do the combos. I could do the pizza flavored combos, but not the nacho flavored combos. That was that was where I drew the yeah, line. Yeah, man, nachos the shit. Nachos with Frank's hot sauce on it. That's my fucking shit, bro. <laughs> well, well, uh, and 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 maybe someday th- there there might be a podcast with uh, Amos and Tony, the Amos and Tony show. Yeah, I think so. If I can reel him in. His agent's a, p- a bit of a pain in the ass, though. He's he's asking for a lot of money up front. Oh yeah, and like um, you know, <laughs> syndication rights and all sorts of stuff. Everything, dude. Everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah. he likes to get paid in Wawa gift cards. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, they got great sandwiches, and Tony looks like a guy <laughs> who appreciates a good sandwich. Yeah, he is. He loves. He's he loves a hoagie. <laughs> as a as a as a Philly guy, Amos, um, is it? Uh, Genos or Pats, and do you are do you are you sick of the whole Genos versus Pats argument? I I don't understand where that came from. First of all, like why are those the only two options? Because um, they're across from each other, I guess. Yeah, I mean, but they they're like I grew up going to gyms, which is a in, on South Street because um, I lived right off of South Street, so gyms was my stuff. But I don't know, man. I mean, honestly, people, Philly people who want cheesesteaks, just go get them wherever, whatever's closest. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's a cheesesteak. It's probably going to be pretty good. Um, (laughs) You know, if you're wasted, if you're wasted, it's like, you know, those two places stay, especially Gino's is open all night, I think. So if you're like super drunk, you can go to Gino's at three. So I think that was sort of part of the draw. But I always just went to Wawa, dude. At you know, if I was like, I remember being absolutely wrecked and going to Wawa, because Wawa at like two or three in the morning in the right neighborhood is a real fucking scene, man. Like they could make a whole TV show about after hours Wawa. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I definitely can imagine the life that those overnight employees have of dealing with all those drunk people. I never, <laughs> I always felt sorry for if we go into a diner or something, you know. Did you ever have a really terrible job before you got into music? What was your worst job before you got into music? I had a lot of pretty hard jobs. Um, I actually worked at a sandwich shop. I worked at a place called Blimpies in South Carolina. Um, I would work 10 hour I remember days. Blimpies. I remember the, the commercials with the guy in the field with the big loaf of bread. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also worked at the Olive Garden, which was at times extremely hard. Um, I was, I worked as a plumber's assistant and that was really shitty, literally like so much shit all the time, all day long. Um, I was a landscaper, which was really hard. Uh, I was actually a landscaper and I worked for this like crazy cokehead who wouldn't fix any of our equipment and like would be breathing in all these fumes and shit. We'd be working like 16 hour days and he would just be gacked out and like crazy, like coming over and just like yelling at us and like looking at the lawns and being like yelling and being crazy and shit. So yeah, I've had my, 
that's only like a few of them. I've had a lot of shitty jobs, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, Amos, I'll let you go. But thank you so much for joining us on the show. And congratulations on the new album. It's out February 11th. And we hope to see you on tour sometime soon. Yeah, man. It was fun. Um, thanks for having me again. I really appreciate it. And uh, I will be listening now to your podcast. Is it once a week? Is that the deal? It's once a week, yeah. And we have a mixture cool. of new, newer artists and and artists who have been around. Old ass, old ass crackers like me. That's cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'll subscribe and and I will leave a review. <laughs> I appreciate. It. I appreciate. It. Yeah, man. All right, that was Amos Lee. Thank you for listening and watching to It's Real with Jordan and Demi. We will be back next week with Katie Turner. Until then, you can watch our episodes on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitch, and you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. So until then, we'll see you later.